you probably forgot, but we're going through the book of Romans. <laughs> and so, uh, if you will, we're going to pick up where we left off in what I consider one of the misunderstood six verses in all of the book of Romans. So open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. The title of this message is, A Marriage Made in Heaven. A Marriage Made in Heaven. Now, if if you go to your scripture, your Bible, and you go to Romans, you know, uh, when the Bible was originally written, when the words were originally written, like they didn't have chapters, they didn't have verse numbers, and for sure they didn't have headings in front of paragraphs, right? But let me give you the the headings in front of this particular section in two versions of the scripture. Here's one version. Dead to the law, but alive to God. Well, isn't that pleasant? Uh, Here's another one for you. Freed from the law. So here's my question. What does that make you think about the law? Pretty bad. I mean, I was in bondage to it. Now I've been freed. Here's the problem with that understanding. God's word must be consistent from Genesis to Revelation. And let me give you an understanding of some of the things that God says about the law. Romans seven twenty-two, I delight in the law of God. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Proverbs 6, 23. The commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Luke 16, verse 17. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. And let me just read this to you from Joshua chapter 1, in verse 8. This, by the way, is when Joshua is standing, taken over from Moses. His knees are knocking. He's very, very nervous. He's got to take over from Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, our rabbi. And God says to him, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it. You shall be constantly in it, day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. And what's the longest chapter in all of Scripture? Psalm 119. What does the chapter speak about? The law of the Lord. Let me just read you one verse which I absolutely love. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. So here's my question. Is that something you want to be freed from? Is that something that is dead? Then surely what a lot of the commentators of Paul in the book of Romans have said is not exactly kosher, if you know what I mean. So I want to go through these six verses with you to give you what I believe is a proper understanding of this. Now, just because I say it doesn't mean it's correct. You need to go back and take it to the Lord yourself. You need to be a quote-unquote good Berean 
And no matter what you've heard, you need to test it against the rest of Scripture to see if, in fact, it is true and it is vital and it is right. Romans 7, beginning in verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law? Question. Who's Paul writing to? To Jews. Or those righteous Gentiles who have studied the Torah. And so the book of Romans, contrary to some, is not only written to the Gentiles in Rome. It is obviously also written to the Jewish population in Rome. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. Now what he's about to say is, if in fact you know the law, then what I'm about to say has got to make sense. You follow me? That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. The law has dominion, has rule, has consequences, has blessings and curses over a man as long as he lives. When I do research during the week for these messages, I read lots of different sermons uh, from other people. I steal from here, I steal from there, I steal from there, so you can think I'm really smart. Listen to this one thing I read. There was a man named Micah Johnson. Micah Johnson ambushed and killed five Dallas police officers on July 7th, 2016. He was never tried or arrested for those crimes. Why not? Because he was killed in the shootout. He was dead and no longer subject to the law. Somebody go, oh. Who comes to mind, right, Sonia? He was dead and therefore no longer subject to the law. Now here's a question you have to ask yourself. Did he commit a crime? Absolutely. Did he violate the law? Absolutely. Was he tried? No. Because he was dead. And the law only has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now Paul goes on to give an explanation for this by giving an understanding through the marriage vows. Dear ones, this is not a passage on marriage. And I've heard it preached too many times. This is an example of what it means to be dead to something. Okay? Verse 2. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. There are wedding vows that you take. Now, I've done a whole bunch of weddings, and I've been to a whole bunch more weddings, and there isn't any wedding, well, there might have been one or two. (laughs) There isn't any wedding where I don't hear the words, till death do you part, or as long as you both shall live. The woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. What law? The law of her husband. Why should that make sense to you who know the law? Because that's what the law is about. It's about rules and regulations for the benefit 
of both parties in the case of marriage and for the benefit of us all in the case of Torah. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. You can't be married to two people. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, the law of the husband, the law that regulates the relationship between husband and wife so that she is no longer an adulteress, though she has married another man. Are you following? You're only held to the law as long as you are alive. The example here is of a man and a woman, where if the husband dies, then the woman is no longer bound to the dominion of the law of her husband because the husband is no longer there. Therefore, she is free to marry another. If she joins with another while she is still married, then she is in fact an adulteress and is practicing what is against the law. Okay? Let's continue. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law, and I need to insert my own understanding, to the dominion of the law. You have become dead to the dominion of the law through the body of Messiah, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. There began at Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, a marriage relationship between the God of creation and the nation of Israel. That marriage relationship is called Torah. It is rules and regulations, commandments and stipulations, safeguards, protections to make sure that when Israel dwelt together as a nation, they dwelt in harmony and in safety. Dear ones, that law will never die. Yeshua says himself, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all has been completed. Question. Has all been completed? Last time I looked, Messiah had not returned. And so the law is still there. The law is still good, holy, perfect. The law is still a safeguard for people to know how to deal with one another. And so if the law hasn't died, who has? It's like the lights are on, but nobody's home. When Messiah died, who died with him? We did. So we have died to the law, more precisely, the dominion of the law, so that we might be married to another, Messiah Yeshua. No longer do we have to make a sacrifice and a penance for every little sin we do. Why? Because the law required it, 
but Messiah did it for us. You follow? Dead to the law, the dominion of the law, because we have died in Messiah so that we now can be married to another, but with a purpose. That we should bear fruit to God. Salvation is not a one-act play. Salvation is the beginning of the story of the rest of your life. It is meant for us to bear fruit to God. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Now let me tell you what the normal reading in most quote-unquote churches are in the United States today. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions that were caused by the law were at work. Is that what it says? The sinful passions which were in our flesh that were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. How many of you ever walked by a fence that you know for sure has wet paint on it? You kind of walk away from it, right? What happens if there's a sign that says wet paint? You touch it. The sign's the law. It arouses in us sinful passions. How many of you have ever been driving down a major road and you can't see a speed limit sign? What do you do? Drive carefully, probably less than the speed limit, because you want to make sure that everything's okay, right? But as soon as you see that 70 mile an hour speed limit on 81 going south to Roanoke, what do you do? You set your speed control to 76. Oh, come on. You know you're with me. Just so I can see what I can get away with. Right? I'm driving to synagogue this morning. I have this hobby. I don't take my eyes off the road. But I love to memorize what the insignias look like on the grills of cars. You know, from 100 yards, I can tell whether it's a Mazda or an Infiniti or an Audi. This white foreign sports car passes me at what had to be 95 to 100 miles an hour so fast I couldn't see the insignia. Then comes an Audi. The only reason I saw that insignia is because it's bigger. Following him, weaving in and out. There were three more cars, five of them all together. And they're weaving in and out. And not only do I see them weaving in and out, I see brake lights going on and off and on and off because of the commotion that they are causing. Dear ones, the law of speed limits is not just so you can become friendly with the State Highway Commission. The law of speed limits, are you listening, is that so everybody can remain safe on the road. That's the Torah. It's written as a covenant to the children of Israel to be shared with the rest of the world that if we would keep it and understand it in the spirit of the law, as Yeshua says in the Sermon on the Mount, not by the letter of the law, then we will have harmony. We will have peace, security, prosperity, and true service to our God. 
verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the dominion of the law. Let me give you one ridiculously simple example of being freed from the dominion of the law. If I tell you today that in my prophetic understanding, so-and-so is going to happen next week on Wednesday at 11 o'clock in the morning, and it doesn't happen, what do you need to do to me? Stone me to death. Guess what? I'm not under that dominion anymore. You can correct me. You can tell me you need to be careful about how you speak. You need to say that as a rabbi, as a leader, as a congregational leader, as a whatever you want to call me, you have a responsibility to be careful for what you say before you say it to make sure that whatever comes out of your mouth is not your words but his words for the edification of those who hear and not to make people think you're so smart and wise. But if I do say something and it's wrong, I am not under the quote-unquote penalty of the law. What I am under is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there is a total difference between the two. But now we have been delivered from the dominion of the law, having died to what we were held by. If you talk to some leaders in Israel, they will make a very compelling argument that not only was the law, the Torah, written for the children of Israel and the children of Israel alone, but it was written for the children of Israel who live in Israel alone. Because the law says, if you will do and keep these commandments, then I will prosper you in the land. To which I say that's a very narrow interpretation. And so their understanding of the reason to keep the law is so that you can keep it in order to be blessed. You follow me? That's backwards. We are blessed so that we should desire to keep it. Jesus didn't come to make us good law keepers. The law came to lead us to Yeshua. Oh, let me say that again because that's really good. Yeshua did not come to make us good law keepers. The law came to lead us to Yeshua, who was the fulfillment of everything that the law could ever have said or done. But now we have been delivered from the dominion of the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve. The constant in all of this is serving. The constant in all of this is what we do. The difference is who we're serving and why we do it. That we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. In the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. I don't know of any religion, including what many people call Christianity in a lot of the denominations, where the goal of piety is to be righteous and pious enough so that you will gain God's favor. 
guess what? That's an impossible task. You or I will never be righteous enough, pious enough, holy enough, obedient enough, observant enough, give enough, serve enough to become God's friend. It is absolutely the opposite. Because of our death with Messiah, we now have been married to God's Son. And in that newness of life, that newness of relationship, we are now free to serve in the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. We are free to serve because that's who we are as opposed to serving because that's who we want to be. Does that make sense? It's not a question of what do I need to do? It's a question of who am I? And I am a child of God and the bride of the Messiah. And if you by faith have believed the message of the good news, you too are a child of God and a bride of Messiah. Now there's something I need to warn you of. There are some who undoubtedly have placed their faith in Yeshua that still want to be married to the law. You know what that's called? Adultery. Adultery. Does that mean that the law is not good? No. Does that mean that every rule and concept and stipulation and commandment of the law is not right and holy and just and of our benefit? No. What it means is you've placed your relationship with the law above your relationship with the Lord. In the Lord, you serve in the Spirit. And you can't have two gods. You can't have two wives. You either serve one and hate the other or love one and hate the other. Serving is the constant. We either serve in the newness of the Spirit or in the oldness of the letter. Let me remind you what Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, said about the Jewish people in Romans chapter 10, verse 2. They have a zeal for God. That's good. But not according to knowledge. The word there for knowledge is epignosis. Now, gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. But when you put the prefix in front of it, epignosis, it, it gives it the understanding that not just knowledge, but an expression of that knowledge through the participation of a relationship with the object of that knowledge. In other words, to know him in a personal, experiential, spiritual, individual, revelational way and not just to know about him. One is the spirit and the other is the letter. One is the spirit the other is the letter. Open my eyes, the psalmist said, that I may see wondrous things from your law. The law that has led us to Yeshua. The law that has led us 
to Yeshua. Yeshua did not come to lead us to the law. The law came to lead us to Yeshua. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close with the benediction? If this is your first time here, our custom is that no one stands alone. Please find someone to stand with. A hand, an arm, a shoulder. Don't go any lower. <laughs> Just kidding. As we sing together. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, and give you peace. Yivarech Adonai v'yishmerecha, Yair Adonai panav elecha v'chuneka, Yisa Adonai panav elecha, V'yasem lecha shalom, V'yasem lecha shalom. This is the way you shall be blessed. From day to day, he'll be your rest. This is the way you shall be blessed. From day to day, he'll be your rest. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, and give you peace, and give you peace, and give you peace. I would ask that the first person who goes downstairs to the Oneg table, if you will please say a prayer for the juice and a prayer for the bread. I'm sorry. Oh, if there's anyone who is sick or in need of prayer and would like to come forward, you can come forward um, right after um, I finish speaking. Charlie will be here. Also, if you will give me five seconds to get to the entrance and exit doors so I can greet you on the way out. Shabbat shalom.